The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are now presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get $100 at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet, the sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by SGPN's Big Game Bingo, $57 SGPN gift card for every bingo hit in the big game of the NFL. And we're also brought to you by SGPN's 57 Bets Challenge, $570 cash and a $570 gift card to the winner of the props contest. Get all of the contest information exclusively on the SGPN app. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It's currently Saturday, February 11th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again going solo for this pod. And it should be a pretty fun episode because we do have to break down some semifinal matchups in Cordoba, in Dallas, and also in Montpellier. So definitely a lot of tennis to go through here. But before I get into any of the overall updated future odds and the updated uh, semifinal matchups with the full previews for all of them. I do want to briefly recap how we did on the last episode. Overall hit and miss for the actual lock and dog picks did not do well as we went 0-2. However, for the outrights, we do have a couple of live horses left, so hopefully they end up crossing the finish line. But to look at the lock and dog, ended up going 0-2, as I said before. We lost with the lock with Baina, minus one and a half games against Apata Marias. We beat a pretty big line move there. Line closed at two or two and a half, depending on where you ended up getting it. But it was too heavily juiced, so pretty much two and a half. And we won the first set. Uh, with a tie break, and then unfortunately Zapata Marais looked like he was going to fold, but kept it together and ended up beating our guy in three sets, 7-5 in the third. Absolute war, phenomenal match, but unfortunately we were on the wrong side of it. Uh, and then to go through the actual dog for the episode, we were hoping for a marathon as we ended up having the Bagnus and Kecinato match over two and a half sets, and that fell short as Kecinato dominated and won in straight sets. It was the first time Kecinato ended up beating Bagnus in the head-to-head, and historically speaking, they had a bunch of marathon matches which is why we took the over two and a half sets. However, Bagnus basically no-showed it, and Kecinato beat him comfortably. Dig matters worse. Kecinato ended up retiring in the second round against Coria when he was down a set and a break. So Kecinato was clearly below 100%, and yet Bagnus still got his ass kicked in that match. So really disappointing showing from him. But either way, we went 0-2, and we'll look to sweep the board here on Saturday and then sweep it again on Sunday when we go through the final uh, the final in all three tournaments uh, tomorrow. But either way, do want to at least bring up the futures that we have, and hopefully we don't drink, jinx any of them. Starting off with the tournament that we had the least success in, in Montpellier, we went 0-2 with the outrights. We had Batista Agut as our favorite, quote-unquote, and he ended up losing. And we also gave out a serious long shot in Gasquet, and he ended up losing in the first round. Both of the same guy, actually, ended up losing to the Cinderella story, Phils. And now Phils is taking on Sinner in the semis. Uh, good for him. Uh, he's going to be one of the bright, uh, I'd say, future guys in France. And he's only 18 years old, so he's definitely got a lot of talent. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to realize that talent this quickly, but apparently he has, and we'll see how he fares against Sinner 
in Saturday's morning's matchup, which we'll talk about in a little while. But the point is, both of our guys lost to the same guy, and that's kind of unfortunate. But the other two, uh, two tournaments we did have more success in, starting off with Cordoba, we have a guaranteed finalist. We gave out three outrights. We ended up having Ramos Vinolas. Uh, we gave out Coria at around 14 to 1, and we also ended up giving out Baina. And I mentioned that Baina is our serious long shot, around 28 to 1, lost in the first round. But Ramos Vinolas and Coria play against each other in the semis. So we have a guaranteed finalist. We're going to be a bit greedy, rooting for Coria, because we'd rather have 14 to 1, but still. We have a guaranteed guy with a shot to win us a pretty large future, and that's all I can ask for. So Cordoba's been basically a success for the futures. Now, of course, it would be a full home run if one of our guys wins it, but you could hedge in the final if you get a little bit paranoid. But still, uh, so Cordoba's been pretty good. And then in Dallas, we gave out two outrights and we have one guy left in the semis we gave out Chapo as our quote-unquote favorite and i mentioned in the last episode how i thought yibbing could be a potential top 25 guy and i thought that he is one of the very just solid bright spots for the future of chinese tennis on the men's side and yibbing who is currently 23 i thought would be a potential top 25 guy probably a year or so from now and I mentioned how I was a fan of his game. Unfortunately, they came back to bite us in, in the immediate future because he beat Chapo, and now he's in the semis. So I was right about his upside. Unfortunately, it came back to bite us immediately. But we did give out Wolf at 14-1, to and Wolf was able to come back from a set behind against Tiafo yesterday, and now he's favored against Isner in the semis. Should be a war, that match, so we'll talk about that in a bit. But the point is we do have a, we do have a favorite to make the final in a 14 to one price point. So we could potentially hit knock on wood two separate 14 to one shots and outrights this week, which would be huge. But of course, we're not going to catch our chickens before they hatch. So the point is, hopefully Wolf gets it done. Hopefully Corio or Ramos Vanolas get it done and we can win two tournaments. But either way, point is the futures for the most part have been successful so far and hopefully we keep it rolling but of course we do have a jam-packed episode as i mentioned before as we do end up having uh the updated future odds to go through we have the semi-final matches to go through the lock and dog segment but fortunate into any of that i do want to briefly get something off my chest something that's pretty important to me so even though we just went through what exactly we have on the schedule and it is going to be a lot of tennis content, I briefly want to segue and talk about something a bit more personal. If you want to skip this, you can and go straight to the picks and stuff at the end, but it's important to me and I want to talk about it. So some people might be wondering why I was the person who pitched the tennis gambling podcast and got a running people know that i'm very into basketball which is why i've been on the nba gambling podcast for about two years they know i'm into the nfl which is why i've been a co-host of the nfl gambling podcast they know that i once again like basketball which is why i've done the wnba show with terrell but tennis was a sport that sgpn really didn't cover that much and i pitched it to Sean and to Kramer last year. And thankfully, they gave me the green light, and I've been running with it ever since. But I never potentially talked about on this show, I might have, but I don't think so, how and why I was so into tennis or how I became such a huge fan. And I briefly want to talk about the person that pretty much 
made me the tennis fan that I am today. And I spent some time earlier this week in Florida, and I wanted to at least talk about what exactly I experienced in Florida, and I wanted to go more into detail about the person that I'm referring to. So for the details here, the person that caused me to become a serious tennis fan, his name was David Lifschultz, and he was a guy who was constantly involved with tennis in Miami in particular for the last 40, 50 years. And he was constantly on tennis courts at Flamingo Park pretty much every day for 50 years. And he ended up coaching a lot of guys there and some women as well. And they were pretty successful. And one of his students, just for example, was Donna Gantz. Now, if you are a longtime older tennis fan, you probably know who that is. If you don't, Then I'm going to explain who she is. She was a former WTA player, and she actually ended up winning the Orange Bowl 18 under championship twice. And she also ended up being a French Open quarterfinalist back in 1975 before losing to Martina Navratilova. So she was a quarterfinalist in a Grand Slam event. And the reason why I bring her up is because she was probably David's most famous student, quote unquote. And it's one thing to really know about a person or know of a person through personal experience just by living with that person or seeing that person on a day-to-day basis whenever I would vacation in Florida. It's different to hear one of his actual tennis students speak about him and in case you figure in case you have not figured it out yet, David Lifschultz was a relative of mine. In fact, he was my grandfather. And unfortunately, he passed away earlier this week. And I ended up flying down to Florida with my mother for the funeral. But the reason why I bring this up is because I got to hear what kind things his tennis students had to say about him. And when listening to their speeches, it kind of took me back to some experiences that I had with my grandfather when I was growing up. And every time I went to Florida, which was roughly once or twice a year, every year for my entire existence, not as much with COVID, but for the most part, 20 plus years of going to Florida. Every time I went to Florida, I'd end up on a tennis court with my grandfather and he would do basic drills, which was mostly accuracy stuff, court coverage stuff, etc. But I got to see him operate. And I know that he was extremely just smart on a tennis court. He was a great strategist. He was extremely consistent. There's not a tennis match that goes by where I don't think about the figure eight with the forehand and backhand letting the ball drop, keeping perfect form every time. And even in his 80s, he was playing tennis with his kids, uh, he had four kids, one of them being my mother, and she ended up passing down as well uh, her love of tennis with me. But I wanted to briefly talk about him because I wouldn't be hosting this podcast if it wasn't for him because I probably wouldn't be the biggest tennis fan. And the fact that he was able to reach me at a young age and watch tennis matches with me, explain his love for the sport, and even help me out with the sport. Now, I have never really been a big player. I've been more of a watcher and a fan, but I would not be the person that 
watches Australian Open matches at five in the morning every year. The person that breaks down tennis matches and does tennis podcasts at 5 a.m. without him, because he was the person who inspired me to really follow tennis at a religious level. And now, unfortunately, he passed away. It's definitely been sad on my family and I. And I wanted to briefly talk about him because, once again, he was a very, very important person in my life, and he helped really bring a love of tennis to my heart, and I wanted to bring him up. Now, I'm sure this wasn't exactly where a lot of you were expecting this podcast to go. Uh, Some of you might have noticed I wasn't on the NBA show last Friday, or I should just say yesterday, but I wasn't on the show when it was usually my date, and I didn't do any of the editing for the show yesterday. It was because I was flying back from Florida But I spoke at his funeral, and it was a very emotional time for my family and I. But since this is a tennis podcast, and since he was a big reason why I became such a big tennis fan, I wanted to just bring him up and talk about what he personally meant to me. And from what I can tell from the funeral speeches, what he meant to other people, including tennis players, some of which may or may not have made it to quarterfinals of Grand Slam events in the 70s. But that story about my grandfather, David Schultz, and of course, even though he's no longer with us on this earth, he'll be with me in my heart, and I wanted to at least acknowledge that. But either way, time to move on for the rest of the show. Before I get into any of the tournaments with the future previews and the semifinal match breakdowns, want to take a quick word from our sponsors. We're brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is the official online sports book of the Sports Game Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays, a.k.a. WinBet's build-your-own-bet. The big game is here, and WinBet has you covered. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today and receive a special offer. Bet $100 and get $100 limited state availability. And of course, if you hit the longest parlay of the week, the biggest long shot, so to speak, you get a $1,000 free credit. There's so much to choose from. And all you have to do is head over to sportsgampodcast.com slash winbet. So then we send you the sportsgampodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-B-E-T. Offer subject to change terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished going through the up, just the updated recap of our outrights and our unfortunate offer in the Lock and Dog segment in the last episode. But it's time to get into the updated future odds, and we're going to start off in the chronological order that we always do. So we're going to start off in Montpellier and go through the updated future odds there. And no surprise, Sinner is the favorite, as he should be. He's minus 120 to win the tournament. Rune is second at plus 150. You have Cressy at 9-1. to one. And Cinderella story fills there, uh, potentially trying to bring back a trophy in his home country to uh, just to keep it in his home country because he's French. But either way, uh, I think Cinder should be the favorite. Uh, He definitely has looked very sharp. Now, he has been quite fortunate because he had a walkover. We mentioned how Cinder, I thought, had a good shot to win the tournament. I didn't take him, though. 
in the outrights because he did have a scheduled matchup against Fuksovic in the second round, and Fuksovic just took him to five sets in the Australian Open. So it kind of scared me off, but it ended up not mattering because Fuksovic won the first round, got injured, and he did not show up for the second round match. So Sinner ended up having a walkover into the following round, ended up beating Sonigo in straight sets comfortably, had a phenomenal point there, by the way, which I'm sure if you saw the highlights, you know what I'm talking about. But there was an insane rally in that match, which I recommend seeing the highlight of. But Sinner is a massive favorite, as he should be. You have two really, really big favorites in the semis. You have Sinner at minus 400, and you have Rune at minus 425. I, it kind of surprises me that Rune is a bigger favorite than Sinner in their matches, because Sinner... I just think the better player and Phil's. Yes, he does have the home crowd behind him in France. And yes, he is potentially a top 25 guy down the road. who's kind of made his name known. Cressy's been serving very well. I know Rune in the head to head has dominated Cressy, but I don't know. I, I feel like the odds are a little bit off here. I think Rune should be a big favorite, but I think he should be around minus 350 minus 300. I think 425 is a little bit large and I think center should be, I think 400 is kind of fair, uh, so I'm not going to complain too much about those odds. But am I picking any shocks in these matches? Not really. I think you'll probably see Sinner against Rune in the final. I think Cressy's got a shot to win a set, maybe more, uh, because of the serve and volley and the fact that I do think he could force Rune into a couple of tie breaks. And if you have Cressy in a tie break, you never know. So I think that Cressy is a bit more alive than the odds makers suggest, especially since Rune ended up going to a couple of tie breaks in his last match as he ended up winning in straight sets against Barreri. But he went to a tie break in three of the four sets in this tournament. So he has not been great at breaking up to this point. Uh, Cressy ended up beating Chorich in straight sets in the last round. He hasn't dropped the set either, beat Rusevori, so in the second round. So pretty good wins there uh, by Cressy. But I think you'll probably see a tiebreaker, so I don't mind the over in this match. Uh, if you're looking at the total games here, it is 22.5 at minus 130. I like the over. I think you'll see at least one tiebreak, potentially two, and with... The overall ability of Cressy to put a lot of pressure on Rune with his serve and volley. We know Rune is a very good just overall returner, and he's a very good rallier, but Cressy wants to end the points quickly, and I do think you'll end up seeing a couple of really fast service games with Cressy. But I think that the over 22 and a half games makes a lot of sense, especially with Rune's issues breaking in this tournament. So I am going to go with the over 22 and a half games in that one. For Sinner, I really don't see much value in that match. Sinner at three and a half games is minus 150, which I'm not tempted by. I think Sinner might mop the floor with him, so I'm not going to make a case for the underdog here. I think Sinner's the better player. I don't see much value. Uh, actually, I see three and a half games at minus 120 for Sinner. That I don't mind because I could see a 6-3 set or even something more... Uh, I'd say more decisive than that. I could see a 6-2 potentially here. So I think I'll lean to center minus 3.5, but I definitely think that the over 22.5 in that Rune-Cressy match does seem a little bit short. So I'll lean that way. As for my updated future picks, I'll pick center. I think he's the best player here, and I think he'll probably end up facing off against Rune, but I'll take center to get the job done to win this tournament at around minus 120. Now moving on to Cordoba. 
We have our guys who are still in it. They play against each other. We'll talk about those matches in a second. But for the updated future odds, Baez should be the favorite, and he is plus 150. Coria is plus 275 with Ramos Vanolas. They both are plus 275. And then you have Delian, who is 4-1. to one. Shout out to him. Ended up beating former champion in Sarundolo in the quarters, and it's the first time he's ever made a semi. So congratulations to Delian. He's been battling for a while. Not a great serve, but that's why he's a clay court specialist, and he ended up breaking through despite despite losing the first set in a tie break yes, uh, on Friday, then ended up winning a competitive set there in the second, and then Sarundolo was totally out of gas, and uh, Delian bageled him into the third set. But you're looking at the overall match lines here, and Corey is the favorite at minus 120 against Ramos Vanolas. Ramos Vanolas has been very good here, uh, but he has had his fair share of three set matches against Lahovich and against Souza. Uh, and he was able to end up winning the third set comfortably in both of those matches. But you have to wonder about a bit of fatigue. Ramos Vanolas is a bit older. Coria has played basically two total matches because he ended up having a three setter against Montero in the first round. Montero got a little bit injured midway through the uh, second set. He won the first set in a tie break, and then you could tell something was up with his back, and his movement to his left side especially wasn't great. It looked like Corio was going to bagel him, potentially twice. That's how bad the injury looked for Montero, but he ended up hanging in there, and Corio ended up winning in three. But the point is, he ended up beating a somewhat injured player in three sets. Then he faced off against Kecinato, who got injured and retired midway through the second set. And then he faced off against Sarundolo, who was right off of his th- uh, three-set marathon miracle comeback in the third set the day prior. And Sarundolo was clearly just physically spent going into that match. And Corey ended up beating him because Sarundolo retired down a set and two breaks in the second. So Corey has played one full match and basically a set and a quarter in the last two rounds, and he's advanced. So Corey is the much fresher guy. That's kind of the point I'm making. I took him because he's from Argentina, and Argentinians Argentinians have done well here in the past. So uh, I do think that Corey should be favored here. However, this is a bit surprising that despite being clay court specialists, these guys have never faced off against each other, which I thought was pretty uh, odd. Usually in these events, you see a bunch of head-to-head matches. You can go through the matches that we saw in Cordoba the last couple of days, and a lot of the head-to-heads are 2-2, 5-2, 4-2. There's a bunch of clay matches in the head-to-heads. Not between these guys, but I do think... From what I've seen from these two players, Ramos Vanolas has been solid. It's a, tor- it's a tournament that he's done very well in. It's why we took him to win the tournament before it started. But I do kind of question if Coria is going to be able to wear down Ramos Vanolas physically. Coria is a pretty solid server for a bit of an undersized guy. And I do think he could end up holding serve. I don't want to say frequently, but I do think he can really get himself ahead in some service games and put the pressure on in Ramos Vanolas' service games. But Coria is a guy who can keep the ball in play. I see a really long match. I see this being potentially three hours. I think it's going to be a serious war, but I'm going to go with Coria. 
I think that he's right now in slightly better form, and I like the fact that he's more well-rested because he hasn't had to play a full match since the first round. So I'll lean to Coria, but I think these odds are pretty right on at minus 120 or basically minus 110 apiece. But I think that's fair, but I am going to lean to Coria. I'll take the home country guy in a matchup that should be a bit of a war. I do wonder how much crowd support he's going to have because, of course, the crowd is going to be rooting for the Argentinian for the most part. But for the most, but you also got to keep in mind that Ramos Vinolas is the defending champion. He's made the final here two straight times. He's a well-known guy on tour in general, and especially in this particular venue. I think he will have his fair share of supporters, but I think most people will end up supporting Coria, and I think that's going to be enough to get him over the finish line. Now, moving on to the second match here, you end up having Deli and taking on Baez. This match should be a lot of fun. I think Baez is the better player, and I don't think it's particularly close. The only concern was Baez's just fitness entering this event. It's why I didn't take him as one of the favorites. I mentioned when this tournament started, I had no interest in the favorites. Baez, because he had some physical issues and he had to uh, retire from a couple of matches at the end of 2022, I roasted the odds for Schwartzman. I thought those were the dumbest future odds I'm going to see all year long. Schwartzman being favored in this event, and he immediately lost in the first round because, once again, he's washed. And the fact that he was favored was insane. That was a serious case of the odds makers just being drunk. There's no way around it. They fell asleep at the wheel, and Schwartzman uh, once again lost quickly. And then you ended up having Sarundolo, who was also struggling with his form, and he ended up losing via retirement to Coria in the last match he played in, but he was down 5-2 in the third set to Delbonis before winning the final five games in miraculous fashion to survive and advance before losing eventually. So the point is, I wasn't sold to many of the favorites because of some injury concerns and just based on form. However, I knew entering the event that Baez had the highest ceiling. I think Baez at full strength is the best player on clay in this event, but I didn't pick him because I was concerned about his health. But Baez has looked very good, ended up beating Darty in straight sets in the first round. Crazy match-winning backhand return. Unreal return, which if you have not seen that either, that's one of the most perfectly struck backhand returns I've ever seen. It's a kick serve on clay. He's standing basically back against the fence, and he hits it around the net perfectly on the baseline. Just a phenomenal shot. But that tells you the kind of form he's in. Then he went to three sets against Barrios Vera. Two comfortable sets that he ended up winning there. 6-1, uh, 3-6, 6-1. Seemed like his level kind of dipped there in the second when he had a set to play with. But the point is, Baez has been really good in this event. And... Even though I have futures on Coria and Ramos Vinolas, I am a bit concerned about Baez because I do think Baez would be favored and should be favored if they if he'd make it to the final here. Delian is a good clay court player. The problem is I'm concerned about his lack of firepower. And even against Sarundalo, he doesn't have many winners. He's a guy who's tried to he tries to be consistent, but the serve isn't great. And his movement is good, but Baez's movement is absurd, which is why, despite being extremely undersized, Baez is so dominant on clay when he's at full strength. But the point is, I do think that even though Delian had a very nice run against Sarundalo, 
Sarondolo also, I'm talking about Juan Martin, of course, the former champion. He's still not in the top 100. Like He had a Cinderella run to win this event a couple years ago, but he's not a great player. I, I, I do think that Delian had a great run, had the battle a couple of times through qualifiers, where he had a couple of three-set matches there. Then he ended up beating... Uh, a couple, he had a couple of straight set wins there against uh, Kachin and against Guido Pella. Shout out to Pella, by the way, for winning a match. It was pretty rough for him the last couple months. But then he ended up beating Srundolo, but I think that Baez is just in another league, and I think that Baez should win comfortably. If you're looking at the overall game spread, Baez is minus two and a half games at minus 120. If you want to take him in straight sets, you can get that at plus 135. They played one time back in 2021. It was on clay in Chile and Baez beat him 6-1, 6-1. He buried him. And I think that you're going to see a matchup where Baez potentially gets pushed a little bit in some portions of the match. Maybe you'll end up seeing a tie break in there. Maybe Delian can win a set, but I have a hard time believing that Baez does not win at least one of these sets 6-2 or 6-1 or 6-0. And I think because of it, Delian will end up falling behind in the game counter, and I do think that Baez should cover this number. But he has the home crowd advantage with Baez being Argentinian. You have Delian, who is in his first ever ATP semi. So there's also going to be some nerves built into it because he's never gotten this far in an event. And you also have to look at the fact that even though he has made a good run here, Baez is clearly the best player that he's going to face up to this point. And I think that he's going to be a little bit outmatched here. So I'm going to go with Baez minus two and a half games. I just think that he's the much better player. I think he'll win a set 6-1. And I think there's a decent chance he potentially wins this in straight sets. But I do think Baez minus two and a half games with a series outlier set. I don't see Delian winning a set 6-2, 6-1 or anything like that. I see Delian maybe winning a set 6-4 or 7-6 or a, or a set that takes an hour and change. But I don't think Baez will hand over any free sets. I think Delian might, and I think that might be the deciding factor. So give me Baez, minus two and a half games, and give me Coria on the money line against Ramos Vinolas. And I'm also going to lean to the over two and a half sets there in that Coria and Ramos Vinolas match. I think you'll see a marathon. I said it might be three hours, but I do think you'll see a lot of ebbs and flows in that contest. Now, moving on to Dallas, starting off with the... Updated future odds, you have a pretty interesting situation going on because Fritz ended up winning against Giron, and as a result, he's still favored. Did he look good in the match? Not really. In fact, he probably should have lost in straight sets. Giron had a set point in the tiebreak in the first set and ended up just completely punting the tiebreak. It was kind of sad to watch. But Fritz's movement was okay. I wouldn't say it was amazing. But Fritz did enough to win the third set. The second set didn't look great in, uh, but Fritz looked vulnerable. Uh, for a top 10 guy, I really did not think he looked incredible. He looked good enough to advance, but he's minus 135. I understand the argument is he's facing Yibing and J.J. Wolf and Isner are going to kill each other on the other side of the bracket. But Fritz at minus 135, I really don't see much value on it. And I do think that the winner of the Isner-Wolf match might have some betting value against Fritz. But to go through the actual odds here for those two matches, 
Wolf is the favorite at around minus 130. On the game counter, it is minus one and a half games at plus 120. And Isner's plus one and a half at minus 140. The over-under is either 25 and a half at minus 150 or 26 and a half at plus 125. So in other words, they're kind of expecting two tie breaks in this match. And I can't really disagree. Isner has been serving incredibly well in this event. And it's nice to see him healthy after he got injured in the first round of the Australian Open when his back kind of tightened up against Manorino. But looking at his tournament so far, he has not gotten broken a single time. He has not faced many break points as well, but beat Gomez in straight sets, beat Altmaier in straight sets, and beat uh, Sang in straight sets. Shocker, you have four of the six sets that he's been in in tie breaks, and he's currently 4-0 in tie breaks. But you're looking at Wolf. And he has been solid. Beat Holt in straight sets. Beat Albert in straight sets. Second set got a little bit dicey there because uh, he was up a break in the second. Then he gave it back, but he was able to hold on in the tie break and win. And then he came back from a set behind against Tiafo. He was serving horribly in the first couple of service games there in the first set and then didn't get broken for the final two sets. So shout out to Wolf for kind of getting it together serving-wise. And that's why I kind of agree with the total here. I think you're going to see a lot of just easy holds, and I think you're going to see a lot of tie breaks in this matchup. But you're looking at the first and only matchup in the head-to-head. Isner did beat Wolf in three sets in Atlanta. Ended up beating him in 2021, 6-4, 6-7, 6-4. Wolf has been significantly better since then, so I'm not sure if you can fully use that match as any type of handicap because Isner was definitely just in better physical form in 2021 and Wolf was a relative unknown, pretty much a challenger specialist at that point before he became a serious threat to be a top 25 guy. Wolf right now is currently 43. He's going to be top 20. If you watch him play, you can tell he's clearly going to be a guy that's a force in U.S. tennis moving forward. I don't think he's good enough to win a Grand Slam, but I think he's good enough to make a deep run like we saw in the Aussie where he has a good shot to potentially make a semi at some point. But the point is, I do think this is going to be a very good match. I think both guys should be able to hold serve relatively easily, and I think you're going to see a lot of breakers. I find it weird that Wolf is this big of a favorite. And I get the argument is Isner hasn't played anybody. Isner ended up beating uh, Gomez in the third round, and he ended up beating Altmaier and Sang, and all three of those guys aren't exactly great on hard court. Sang's okay. Altmaier's more of a clay guy, and Gomez is a relative unknown as his rank is currently in the hun- in the hundreds. But the point is, I understand why Wolf is viewed to be favored because he ended up beating Tiafo. But with Isner serving the way that he is, and with how good he's been in tiebreakers in Dallas, I don't think Wolf should be this big of a favorite. I know 135 sounds cheap. I don't think it is. I think it should be closer to like 115, 120. This match really feels like a coin flip to me. And even though I have Wolf to win the tournament, Isner has me a bit nervous because anytime you have the automatic weapon of basically holding serve every time, if you want to keep going to tie breaks, then I think you have a decent chance to really make this an interesting match. Now, Wolf can maybe break through if Isner ends up struggling with his first serve accuracy. And Wolf has been having some issues occasionally getting a serve going early in matches and some 
potential first serve percentage issues, but I do think you're going to see Isner struggle in the return games because he always struggles in return games. Plus, Wolf has the powerful serve at around 130. He's also got a very wicked slice serve up the up the tee, which really just falls off the table. It's an incredible serve when he hits it on. He doesn't hit it on enough, but when he does, it is really a lot, especially for a guy who doesn't exactly have great lateral movement and Isner to handle. So I think both guys should hold serve pretty regularly. I'm not sure we even get a break in this match, but 25 and a half games is minus 150. I'd lean over, but I don't see much value on that. If I was going to play it, I would probably lean to Isner just because I do think this is basically a coin flip match and you're getting plus money. But maybe I wouldn't mind Isner plus one and a half games and minus 140 just because I don't think he's going to get broken. I think he should be able to go to a breaker or two and Isner is comfortable in breakers. So I'd probably lean that way. Uh, do I think it goes three? I think it's got a decent shot, but 26 and a half. I don't think there's any value on that at all. So I'm going to lean to the over here. It is pretty juicy, though. If you can find a price that's like 135, I'd probably take it at 25 and a half. But at 150, I don't think I can take that. So that's how I'm leaning in that match. Kind of a coin flip, not exactly sold on anything in particular. I hope Wolf wins because obviously we got a 14 to 1 ticket on him to win the whole thing. But to go through the other match, you have Yibbing taking on Fritz. Fritz the hefty favorite around minus 370 on the money line. For the games, it is three and a half in favor of Fritz at minus 125, and it is plus three and a half for Yibbing at around plus 105. Over and the total in this match is 22 and a half. Fritz should win. It's the fact that his serve is much better than Yibbing's. However, I think Yibbing can kind of copy Giron a little bit and just keep the ball in play, keep Fritz moving, test out the lateral quickness, and I think that he could make this interesting. I think Fritz is going to win. I'm not picking Yibbing to pull off the upset. All I'm saying is Fritz against Giron really didn't look that sharp, and I do think that Fritz is not guaranteed to just maul Yibbing. I think this will be competitive. I think he'll be able to get it done, but I think Yibbing can have his moments. Maybe this goes three, but I don't exactly like anything in this match either, and I know it sounds annoying when I'm going through two semis in one tournament, and I basically tell you I think these matches aren't great to bet on, but I think Yibbing could give Fritz a problem unless Yibbing's serve is awful and Fritz can make some noise, but I think that Yibbing's good enough with his consistency and with his court movement or court coverage to actually make this competitive. And I do think that you'll end up seeing Gibbing take one set to a breaker, maybe you'll end up stealing a set, but I think I am going to lean to Gibbing plus the three and a half games. I feel better about four and a half, but unfortunately it's minus one I'm quickly shopping around to see if I could find a better price. I doubt it, but if I can, I'd be thrilled by it. Um, no, I only see three and a half unfortunate, but I'm not surprised. Alin Yibbing plus the three and a half, uh, just because I think that his overall game could be enough to keep Fritz off balance. And once again, I think Yibbing's a very good up and coming player. So I think Fritz will get it done, but I think you might see two tie breaks. Maybe you'll end up seeing a three setter, but I think there might be some value, especially plus money on Yibbing at plus three and a half games. Bud's going to wrap it up for. Actually, you know what? No, I didn't mention it. So for the future odds for this tournament, which I mentioned briefly, I don't think there's value on Fritz. 
because minus 135 from what I saw in the last match against Giron, I didn't think if Fritz looked that sharp. So I'm not going to take him to minus 135. The the argument's going to be, is there value on Wolf or is there value on Isner? I already have Wolf, so I'm not going to make another play at 330. Isner at 380 is tempting. I think you'd agree that if he was against Fritz in the final, you'd probably just see a serve fest and a serve bot fest and you get a couple breakers. There might be value on Isner at 380. My concern was health, which is why I didn't take him in this event. I was tempted by it because Opelka won this tournament last year just being a serve bot. But I do think you're going to end up seeing a situation where Isner should have some opportunities against uh, Wolf. And if he keeps serving this well, he's got a serious shot to win the thing. So if I had to pick an actual just outright right now, I'd probably lean to Isner at around 380. I'm not going to play it, but I do think that if you want to make a case for it, the case is there to be made. But I'm definitely not I'm not taking Fritz at minus 135. That I'm not doing. But anyway, it's going to wrap it up for the three tournaments with the semifinals and the updated future odds. However, it is time for Lock and Dog. But before we do that, we're going to have another quick word from our sponsor. Make sure to sign up on the SGPN app and get your own big game bingo card full of all your favorite big game player props or just prop bets in general. If you get bingo, you'll win a $57 SGPN gift card. The only catch is you must be subscribed to the Sports Game Podcast and the NFL Gambling Podcast on YouTube to win. Did I mention it's free? It doesn't cost anything. You sign up, you potentially get bingo, free $57 gift card. If you lose, nothing happens. But I'm just saying, it's a pretty good deal. I already signed up for my bingo card. So, so of course, we're competing, but anybody that can get bingo wins. So we can both win. All of us could win, but I do think it's definitely worth signing up since it is free. Plus, in honor of the big game, SGPN is hosting a prop bet contest. Make your picks for 57. 57 different prop bets. Sounds exhausting, but it's worth it because the winner will get $570 in cash and a $570 gift card to the SGPN store. All the contests are free, once again, free to play, and they're exclusively on the SGPN app. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished recapping the tournaments with the semifinal matchups and the updated future odds. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks. And for the lock, I am going to go back to Cordoba, and I am going to go with Baez, and I'm going to take him minus two and a half games against Delian. Props to Delian. I watched that match against Sarundolo. He looked good. There were moments where it looked like he was going to get away from him, where Sarundolo had a love 30 on one of his service games when he was already up a set, and Delian held it together. But once again, Sarundolo had been very good in Cordoba. The rest of his ATP career, not so much. I just think that Delian has been good, but Baez and the upside and the overall skill differential, I think, is pretty jarring. And the fact that Baez already beat him on clay 6-1-6-1 tells me why I think he's going to cover. I think he'll win a set 6-1 or 6-2. And I think at that point, he might lose a set, maybe. But if he does, it should be a bit of a marathon set, a 6-4 or 7-6 in there. But Baez has the movement, the consistency, and he's got more firepower. I'm going to go with the guy with the home crowd behind him. And I think that Baez gets it done, maybe in straight sets. But Delian's also in his first ever semi. You might have some nerves early on. So maybe Baez opens up a big lead. Maybe he goes up 3 nothing immediately and goes to a 6-2 first set. But the point is, I think, 2.5 for the much better 
just and more talented clay court player, I think it's a very good deal. So my lock will be Baez minus two and a half games at minus one twenty. And to look at my dog, I may I already mentioned Yibbing at three and a half games at plus one oh five, but I don't think I'm actually gonna play that because I think that's a little bit dicey. I thought maybe of going with uh, a one and a half sets if I wanted to make a case or maybe even a future, but I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to go back to Cordoba and we're going to go to the first match between Coria and Ramos Vinolas. And for this match, I'm going to take the over two and a half sets at plus 120. I think these guys are going to kill each other. And when you look at how these guys play, they all they all they do is keep the ball in play. Now Ramos Vinolas can occasionally hit some powerful forehands. Coria kind of does the same thing, but Coria is more of a rallier. Ramos Vinolas is too, but you you've seen Ramos Vinolas occasionally unload on the forehand side. The issue is both guys aren't great servers. I mentioned how Coria has been serving pretty well. He's also been against some injured players, but I think you're going to see a classic Ramos Vinolas match which is a three-setter because all he does is go to three sets on clay. I think you'll see him potentially win the first set, then maybe punt the second. Baramos Vinolas is pretty good at conserving energy, and that does involve him punting a set in the process. But you're looking at Ramos Vinolas, and he has been a three-set magnet or a multiple-set magnet or more than the minimum. To go through Ramos Vinolas' matches, uh, distance against Souza, distance against Lahovic, went four sets against Cressy, so that did end up going more than the minimum, went three sets against Millman, uh, three sets against Kubler, three sets against Evans. So he's gone more than the minimum in each of his last six matches, even going back to hardcore. And I do think that with Coria and Ramos Vinolas, just keeping the ball in play, neither guy are great servers in the grand scheme of things. So I think you'll see a lot of breaks, a lot of really just very high tense moments between these guys. I'm on the over two and a half sets. I think these guys are going to kill each other, and I think you'll probably see a three-hour marathon. We're on both of them, so hopefully they end up not exhausting each other too much because we need the other guy to turn around and win the tournament uh, in the final uh, on Sunday. But the point is, I like the over two and a half sets, and I think you'll see a marathon breakout. So once again, the lock and dog for this episode are going to be on Baez minus two and a half games at minus 120 against Delian, and we're going to take the over two and a half sets in the Coria and Ramos Vinolas match at plus 120. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We're back once again tomorrow to go through the final in Montpellier, uh, also in Cordoba and in Dallas. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.